When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Hello, I'm Andrew Bowser. And I'm Sapphire Sandalo. And welcome to Alter Weekly. Coming up on the show, it's our holiday special. We are breaking down all three Black Christmases. Christmas Eye? With a special guest from Dread Central, Michelle Swope. Then on the Alter Society, we'll discuss the 2019 horror comedy... Porno. I've never thought about plural of Christmas. Christmas eye. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Sounds like an eye of Christmas. Yeah. Ooh, the Christmas eye. Ooh. Well, Sapphire, <laughs> is there anything spiritually cool to report this week? Oh, oh, I've got something. Ooh. Do tell. I had a dream about a straight up demon. <gasps> oh, my God. So, um. So I take not- it that everything I've told you. <laughs> Has not yeah. been working out. It 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 honestly hasn't. But I don't Great. want to, want you to feel bad. Um, I you know I often have nightmares, like I've told you, mm-hmm. but um, but I, only recently am I realizing that they are causing like sleep paralysis. Wait, um, question. Yeah. You have you had sleep paralysis before? I feel like you I, probably have. I mean, I think I have. I, I don't know. It as I understand you would know. it. Okay, well, here's what happens to me. Maybe you can tell me if it's sleep paralysis or not. Okay. Um, Almost always when I have a really vivid nightmare and it's something really terrifying, like somebody peeling their own skin off or me witnessing somebody get dismembered in front of me or something like that, I start to scream, but I can't move. I feel Mm -hmm. paralyzed. Mm -hmm. And the scream in the dream kind of bleeds into a scream in real life like I'm trying to wake my body up because now I'm also panicking that mm-hmm. I can't move. Are your so, eyes open or closed? They're, I mean, it's like my eyelids are lead weight. It's like okay. I'm pulling myself out of muck and mire going like, ah, ah, ah. the screams are so disturbing. My wife wakes up. She's having a panic attack because it sounds like a fucking zombie's next to her. Oh. And I'm having a panic attack because I just was watching somebody get dismembered. Right. But so that moment of pulling myself out of like the mud of this dream, trying to scream, it feels like sleep paralysis. Is sleep okay. paralysis more than that? No, that sounds right. Um, okay, cool. Don't do Because one of the very common things that happen when you're having sleep paralysis is when you feel the presence of something else with you. Has that ever happened? I've had dreams where the thing in the dream, like the entity that I'm seeing, Mm -hmm. um, is then like pressing my body down. (gasps) 
and sometimes it's felt like they're pressing me. I remember having a nightmare where this thing was pressing me down and I thought, well, wait, I mean, I'm just going to like get pushed into the mattress and then into the floor and then into the dirt underneath my house. It was pushing yeah. me so hard. I, I was like, where can we go from here, dude? <laughs> Um, so yes, that has happened on occasion. Wow. Okay. Okay. Continue with your, your dream. Anyway, it was a demon. Um, no, it was one of those dreams that was just, there was no narrative to it. A lot of my dreams are, well, I was going down the street that I turned this corner and I saw this guy and I went into a house and he started cutting someone up. This was just like, pop, I'm in the dream. And the visual in front of me was this long hallway and this dark closet and just a shadow figure, very hunched and rounded with glowing white eyes. Mm. And it was just that feeling of, uh, well, whatever that is, has ill intention toward me. Mm-mm. I got to get the fuck out of here. And I think its eyes maybe glowed brighter or maybe it kind of grew in size a little. Mm-mm. But it was just that stillness of it always feels like in these dreams there's just like a just like this like hum there's never any clear like sounds or anything too distinct when it comes to sonically what's happening in these dreams uh-huh. um just this kind of vibration and me and this thing and it looking at me and it growing and then me having just this dread this feeling of like we're all going to die I got to get the fuck out. Wow. And that's when I start trying to scream. And my body's like, we're still shrieping. And I'm like, oh, God, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. So oh anyway, so that was my week. That was, I guess, the most spiritually uncool thing that happened. Oh, my God. Bowser. Yeah. You know what I hope happens? I hope that somebody who listens to this show is a sleep and dream expert and they are able Ooh. to help you. Yeah, so I'm clearly not working for you. However, I have one more. I have a question, though. Yeah, because you say that you have vivid dreams and vivid nightmares all the time. Do you ever feel like the person you are in the dream is actually not you? Does that ever happen? No. Wow. Mm-hmm. What an interesting question, because I immediately know the answer. No, I am always me. It's always you. Always okay. me. Because, yeah. The reason I ask is because um, something that can happen with uh, people who are really intuitive or empathic, mm-hmm. they um, will dream memories of other people. Oh, wow. But if that's not, because I'm wondering, like, maybe you're just, like, tapping into something. <laughs> or, oh, my gosh. You're getting, yeah. go no. ahead. No, go on. Oh, I was just going to say, you're getting into 1991 Body parts starring Jeff Fahey territory, <laughs> which I'm all about, where he gets the memories and impulses of a serial killer because of an arm transplant. Mm, yeah, but, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what's happening. All I want is to be Jeff Fahey in 1991's okay. body parts. We can make that um, happen. <laughs> but no, I'm always me. It's always like... Always you. And I'm always very cognizantly me. Yeah. It's like, this is so, happening to me. Andrew Bowser. Oh, God. You're haunted. Well, yeah, I'm haunted. <laughs> Case closed. We solved it. I'm haunted. What about you, Sapphire? Are there any updates on um, the owl imagery and visitations that you've been experiencing? Oh, my God. Okay, so when I was watching the 2019 Black Christmas version um, for this podcast, it was this last week. And this last week is when I've been seeing – I'm still seeing owls. Not as frequently as before, but I'm still seeing them. And there's a scene in the movie where – 
I <laughs> we're, I forget the name of the character, but the character goes, let's play a game, top three animals. And immediately I, I seriously like I stood up and I pointed at the screen and I was like, this bitch is going to say owl. I know it. <laughs> I know it. And then I'm wait. My heart is pounding. I'm waiting. And then I, I think her name's Marty. So Marty's like, I don't want to play. And she's like, No, just, just like humor me. And so Marty's like, Okay, I guess my first one is an owl. And I almost threw my remote. I was like, I fucking knew oh, it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so. and, and did they say in the film what the owl symbolized? Because they were talking about animals and that your three favorites did mean something. Yes, it doesn't. It's not the. Um, that the animal they didn't describe like what the animal symbolized it was more of like the order of your animal so you could do this too have you ever you never done this no okay so um it's like one of those have you ever done like the cube game does that sound familiar to no you? like describe yourself as a cube and what? no okay well i'll have to <laughs> that's for another time <laughs> um it's really fun it's, it's just it's one of those games where like somebody asks you a series of questions and, that are abstract and then you answer them just like off the top of your head and then they tell you what each thing means it, 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 it uh what do you call it it connects to something about your personality or your psyche. Okay. Ooh, actually, yes. Okay, next next episode we'll do that and maybe we'll get to the bottom of why you're having all these nightmares. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um, so the for this game, the first and I might be remembering this wrong. But this is what how I remember it. The first animal is um what you aspire to be. Okay. The, it represents what you aspire to be. Um oh, actually something that they forgot to do in the the movie is you name the owl pff, hi you name the animal and then you name three qualities that you think describe the animal so um the first animal and those description words would represent what you aspire to be and then the second one animal that you say and those words that is how people actually perceive you and then the third one is who you truly truly are Wow, but knowing yeah. that ahead of time, I know you can't well, do it anymore, <laughs> right? Because I would be like, I think I'm some kind of like filmmaking eagle that like <laughs> makes a bunch of cool movies and they fly around. <laughs> like, well, clearly, yeah, you're supposed to do it with people that have never done it before. <laughs> I ruined it for you. Sorry. This has become like the psychology podcast. I know. Well, it's definitely, <laughs> it's definitely like a can we help Bowser out psychology <laughs> segment. Newsflash. That's right, it's your news slash. Filming has wrapped on Mike Flanagan's new Netflix horror series, Midnight Mass. Flanagan himself took to Twitter this week to announce that filming on the new show is officially over. The seven-episode series follows an isolated community experiencing miraculous events and frightening omens after the arrival of a charismatic, mysterious young priest. Flanagan's tweet reads, That's a wrap on Midnight Mass. It has been an extraordinary, unprecedented production, and I cannot be prouder of this amazing cast and crew. In fact, and I do not say this lightly, this has been the best production experience of my career. In more Netflix horror news, Lock and Key will return for second and third seasons. The second season of Netflix's Lock and Key hasn't even premiered yet, but The Wrap reports that the streaming service has already ordered a third season. The Wrap also notes that new episodes of Lock and Key are set for arrival sometime in 2021, though at this time, the second season of the series has no premiere date set. 
And now in some Marvel horror news, The Man-Thing returns this March with Marvel's body horror tale, Avengers Curse of the Man-Thing. Being unleashed in March 2021, issue number one kicks off a three-issue storyline that will be told through three separate one-shots that have The Man-Thing interact with different Marvel characters and teams. And that's it. That's your News Slash. News Slash. And now... Alter Weekly invites you to a tale of three black Christmases. But first, a little backstory on all three films. Black Christmas 1974 was initially developed by Canadian screenwriter Roy Moore, who wrote the screenplay under the title Stop Me. Inspirations for the film came from the urban legend known as The Babysitter and the Man Upstairs, which had become widespread during the 1970s. Moore also claimed to have been inspired by a series of murders that had occurred during the holiday season in the Westmount area of Montreal. The murders, which occurred in 1943, were perpetuated by a 14-year-old boy who bludgeoned several of his family members to death. Film producers Harvey Sherman and Richard Scouten had Timothy Bond rewrite the script to give it a university setting. In 2006, the film was remade by Dimension Films with director Glenn Morgan. After his debut feature, Willard, a remake of an earlier 1971 film, failed to perform well at the box office, Morgan was approached by Dimension to write and direct a remake of Black Christmas. Morgan planned to take the film to a different level while respecting the fact that the original was a great movie to begin with. And in 2019, the film was remade yet again by Blumhouse with director Sophia Takao. Director Takal worked extensively to make this vision of Black Christmas as feminist as she could, stating in an interview, I wanted to make a movie where instead of feeling objectified or watched from a distance, the audience felt seen. Unlike the previous two versions of the film, this remake was rated PG-13, a rating Takal sought in hopes of making it accessible to new audiences, especially young women who were interested in horror and opening up discussions on major issues like sexual assault. Now here's our discussion with Dread Central's Michelle Swope on the Alter Weekly Holiday Special. Michelle, thank you for joining us here at Alter Weekly for our holiday spectacular. Woo. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so so this episode was actually Sapphire's idea. Uh, we're going to talk through each of the three Black Christmases. And we're going to talk about which ones worked more than others, what we liked about each entry, uh, maybe what we'd like to see in an- another Black Christmas if they remake it in another 10 years. <laughs> uh, but to start, let's, let, let, let's start with 1974's Black Christmas, uh, directed by Bob Clark. So for each of you, when did you first see this film? Oh, my gosh. I'm probably I'm probably older than both of you, but it's been like a long time. I didn't see when it came out, obviously. Um, gosh, maybe in the eighties or nineties. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a long time. What about you, Sapphire? When did you first see uh, the first Black Christmas? Like a month ago. Hell yeah! <laughs> this is <And> actually. <laughs> That's what gave me the idea to do this for the holiday episode because I loved it so much. And I was like, ooh, we should compare all of them and then I'll be upset. (laughs) (laughs) So what did you love about Black Christmas when you watched it a month ago? I was true. Hey, here's the thing. Bowser, you know how I feel about a lot of older movies. Yes. Just because I, in my modern 
human body cannot get past a lot of things like lack of people of color, lack or just sexism. Yeah. You know, homophobia just rampant every everything. Yes. Um, but this movie, I loved that they portrayed women in just a very real way. You know, um, it there was no I, I didn't feel like it was shaming women for like how they were it was just like this is how college women are women get pregnant unexpectedly women get drunk um and i don't know i loved that about it yeah yeah um well let's talk about what we loved about 1974's black christmas michelle do you do you like this movie do you love this movie what's your take on it oh my gosh i've never loved it um <laughs> i don't hate it but it's just not one of my favorite movies and and i will say i'm really super into slashers yeah um and still and and i was going to mention something uh, that you just mentioned a minute ago actually i know texas chainsaw came out i think the year before yeah black christmas and so uh i think that both of those movies kind of paved the way for you know what we know as the modern slasher and i don't know if enough people give black christmas any credit for that yeah especially because i think it runs on a lot of the same mechanics that Halloween runs on. Um, mm-hmm. This is going to be a hot take, but I love how Halloween is shot. But I think there's a lot of... Uh, eh, how do I say this? Say it. I just think Black Christmas might even have more mood and more intention behind its the language of its cinematography than Halloween. Hmm. Um, I just think about that first phone call when they're when they're receiving that first, I mean, you can't really call it a prank. I mean, it's like, it's assault as a phone call. Yeah. But, you know, when they're first receiving it and the camera just drifts from each character, it's like telling us right then, everybody's going to be affected by this voice on the other end of the line. Mm-hmm. And something about it not being just individual singles, but it just being this roaming close-up, like, I don't know, it makes it, uh, I guess, more deliberate that we're going to experience each person's response to this over the course of the film and uh i just remember being really excited about it when i discovered it as a teenager because it hadn't been um yeah it hadn't really been suggested to me by many people the way chainsaw was or halloween was well so what do you think is 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 something that makes black christmas a film that people even set out to remake is it because of what's in that original or is it because of it just being a Christmas-themed horror, why do we keep returning to it now three times? That's a good question. Um, and I guess this is might be a little bit of a spoiler, but if I had to pick a favorite Black Christmas, 1974 is my favorite of yeah. the three. Um, but I'm not like a huge, huge fan of it, honestly. <laughs> um, I don't Get know, maybe because it deals with a group of women. I mean, could that yeah. be, you know, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it focuses on a group of women and there are some themes that are discussed, you know, that we can elaborate on, which of course we've seen with the following versions. I think the fact that the killer had so much mystery in the original one, I yeah. think that would probably, you know, people were like, oh, what if we remade it, but we gave more information about the killer, which in my opinion, I think it it did it a disservice because I think what worked so well about it was that it was so mysterious because, you know, sometimes you don't know everything about yeah. the killer. <laughs> but at the same time, I feel a little frustrated with the fact that they don't give us any information in the first one. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we don't know 
if he's actually in the attic, I think, you know, or like, where is he in the house? And we don't know anything about him. And I think I feel frustrated at the end of 1974's Black Christmas every time I watch it, because I just <laughs> watch a little bit more, like not as much as 2006, but you know, a little bit more. Split the difference maybe. Yeah. What's weird is uh, when I rewatched 1974 Black Christmas this week, I had all this information in my head as if we did learn more about the killer. And I realized it was all from the 2006 version. <laughs> I did the same thing. You did? You thought there was more coming and then it ended and you're like, oh, wait. Oh. But then I remember feeling like when it got to the end, uh, I remembered the sensation I had the first time I saw it, which is like, oh, well, I think that's kind of cool. I mean, I, I know it can be frustrating, but I guess mm-hmm. I think because it relates back to that uh, – the the uh, well you know the urban legend that it's based on the babysitter and the man upstairs i thought it was kind of cool that it stayed in the shadows but there were specifics in his messages there's these weird mm-hmm. he's speaking as a second and third person and there's there's definitely some depth there we just don't get to explore it um and i i was like at at once both um unsatisfied and then satisfied because I remembered, oh no, I've been through this before and I actually liked it. (laughs) Um, And I love the way it ends with just that ringing phone like this is going to continue and Mm -hmm. it could be any house, it could be any urban legend. Um, But I get it. I mean, they really don't give you, especially for, for, you know, what comes later in the slasher genre, which is almost always unpacking that mythology and that backstory. They don't give you anything outside of these kind of snippets that you see from his POV and the weird things he's saying on the phone. So let's let's dive in fully to the 2006 version. Did, did either of you see this in theaters or is this something you rented later? When did you watch the 2006 version? I think I rented it uh, right around the time that it came out. And that's the only time I've seen it until last week when I rewatched it. So I've only seen it twice. The other ones I've seen several times. Um, And I just remember not liking it in 2006. Yeah. Sapphire, when did you see it? Recently. Yeah. It's as an adult. <laughs> yeah. It's such an amazing early 2000s time capsule. Like as soon as it starts and it's Lacey Chabert and Michelle Trachtenberg. Oh, I, Michelle Trachtenberg. I was like, hello, childhood. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing here? Uh, <laughs> but the opening scene of the 1974 one, I think what worked so well about it is the fact that this girl is getting murdered in her room. The safety and comfort of her bedroom of her sorority home while everyone is in the freaking house downstairs and no one has any idea like that to me the way that they set all of that up I was like wow that's so scary and sad because like that can happen to anyone maybe yeah um but then the 2006 one just like I I don't even it's so unmemorable like I'm literally trying to remember like how it happened but like she's it's not even during a party she's just in her room it just it doesn't have the same punch that the original had. Yeah, and it doesn't set up the same kind of like puzzle. Like what was so cool about the 74 one was that you also had, I mean, you do have the 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 sister coming in the 2006 version, but you had the dad. I liked that in 1974 everybody kind of 
made the most logical decision as they yeah. were presented with the the circumstances. Um, you know, everyone was kind of on board to go and look for her. There, I also like the idea of this uh, other victim, this child that was uh, reported as missing, and uh, and then the father coming to the campus, and uh, I just thought it was it, it felt like everyone was getting different pieces of information, but all trying to solve the puzzle. Whereas, mm-hmm. like in two thousand six, I think they discover a body really early on, and then it's just yeah. a series of slasher set pieces. Yeah. Um, there's not really any kind of uh, puzzle or um, uh, real narrative, I guess you'd say, <laughs> about 2006. Michelle, do you like anything about the 2006 version? Um, I, the only thing I like, and I remember saying this to my husband when we were watching it again last week, is when <laughs> Billy's mom says, Santa's dead. <laughs> <laughs> favorite part of this whole entire movie my husband laughed at me but i'm trying to remember how 2006 was marketed and i i might be remembering it wrong but i feel like they sort of marketed it as like a uh, i don't know like super hardcore gory mm. movie i mean do, do you guys remember that at all i, <laughs> yes. I mean if i know anything about the early 2000s which sapphire that's the <laughs> That's my favorite era. <laughs> um, everything was about gore, and, and nothing made sense. <laughs> like, I, I think of, I, I truly don't even remember Black Christmas that remake existing. Like, I think it just like went over my head. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, that's just what everyone was into at that time. So it doesn't surprise me that they would just like. Is it that was? I think the 2006 one might be the most gory of all of them. Without yeah. a doubt, without yeah. a Billy made cookies out of his mom and oh my god, cookies and that was really crazy. Just, <laughs> it's upsetting too. Like uh the uh the scene in like the attic and she just robes. I literally just like I wanted to walk out. I was like I can't, <laughs> I can't handle this. It's yeah, it's really uncomfortable. It yeah, it is. And I and I I don't know off the top of my head what had just come out as far as horror films that year or the previous year, but something gave this film uh, carte blanche to just be as gory as it wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And even getting into the incest and the rape, there's so much going on in that film that it doesn't seem like the uh, 1974 version demanded. Like, if you do this again Mm -hmm. in in 2006, it better be really fucked up. It's like, (laughs) no, it was actually a kind of restrained horror film in the 70s yeah um well take this out if i'm wrong but i want to say this was around the time that hostel came out yeah i mean that's 2005 hostels 2005 yeah (laughs) yeah i feel like they just wanted gore for the sake of gore and you know shock that a lot of shock value and and yet characters that you just don't get to know or really care about yeah i do think Something that they were able to do in 74 was that within a few exchanges of dialogue between these characters, we got a sense of of who they were mm-hmm. and how they were going to respond to God, the rest of the movie. But in 2006, I don't think they really do that. I think the characters all stay at a weird two-dimensional level, um, especially for what they're going through. And even the sister that comes in, 
I'm like, well, what's she about? And I don't really get to know. She just, it's because yeah. the shit hits the fan and everybody's just put in the fun house. And I miss that intimacy. I guess if, if I were to, if anyone were to look at the original and think, let's remake it, I would think what you'd want to keep intact is a really great like interplay between a, an ensemble of, of players. Yeah, like it didn't really feel like any of the characters truly interacted with each other in a yeah. real way or at all. Like I didn't, I didn't believe that they were even friends. It just was a bunch of people in a house, yeah, slowly getting murdered. <laughs> yeah, and I thought they showed us too much too soon. Like I know mm-hmm. that I know that we we know in the original that uh, the boyfriend isn't the killer because we're shown the killer's POV and. We're given, like, bits of his weird, uh, whatever kind of psychosis he's experiencing. But I do think the characters don't know. And, I mean, obviously, up until the end, because she's so convinced he's the killer, she kills him. But I think in the 2006 version, we're shown Billy, we're shown Agnes, we're shown the first murder being done by somebody with long hair, so we can assume it's Agnes. We're shown Billy escape the institution. We're just, we're given all the information and all the characters are kind of given the same info because mm-hmm. the first flashback is given to us by Andrea Martin, but then Oliver Hudson gives us the second flashback. And by that time, they've got all the intel, we've got all the intel. So it's just a straight track to Billy and Agnes killing everyone. And there's none of that fun mystery. Mm-hmm. And you don't have the dad from Nightmare on Elm Street. So, I mean, gosh. <laughs> Let's, is there anything else to discuss about 2006? Um, yeah, let me check my notes for the 2006. Um, I was so confused throughout. This is not scary at all. Very forced huh. theme of sisterhood. This is so fucking dumb. <laughs> <laughs> when you get to that point, there's no turning back. When you've written down in your notes, this is so fucking dumb. <laughs> and is everyone aware that the original was directed by the director of A Christmas Story? No. Yeah. That's amazing. Isn't that isn't that cool? Um there there's not much of an anecdote beyond that. I just think it's interesting that he made <laughs> a Christmas story which is one of the most beloved uplifting although, you know, cynical and and uh pretty uh satirical Christmas movies and then he also made Black Christmas, which is one of the most famous Christmas horror films. I think that's awesome. He's got to cover all the Christmas bases. Yeah, he does. He does. Okay, so let's move into Black Christmas 2019. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
what are your initial reactions, whether you saw it recently or whether you saw it when it came out? What what were your thoughts when you saw the trailer and heard that Blumhouse was doing a third Black Christmas? Um, tell me about your initial reactions to the most recent Black Christmas. Um, I remember hearing a lot of internet buzz. Um, people were fighting. They were really divided over it. Um, and this is before I saw it. I was hearing, you know, all these crazy things. Uh, when I, I finally saw it, like, not too long after it came out. And I wasn't a big fan um, for a lot of reasons. And it seems like talking to people um, over the past year since it came out, it seems like people either love it or they hate it. There's really no middle ground with yeah. 2019. Um, but yeah, my initial reaction was I, 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 was, I was turned off. I think mainly by the supernatural elements. I think that that must have been a big, I mean, what do I know? But I feel like that must have been a big part of the pitch was that it was going to be supernatural, whereas the others were not. Um, what were your initial reactions, Sapphire? When did you see the 2019 version? Uh, again, saw it very recently. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it only came out last year. Um, <laughs> it's... I, I, I was shocked at how much it strayed from both of the previous remakes. I was like, whoa, okay, we're even stepping further back, okay? Um, yeah. And I think that... So I understand, like, what it was trying to say. Like, it was trying to be this very um, feminist, progressive kind of horror movie and present all of these themes and ideas, like the Me Too movement, stuff like that. But, like... When I see stuff like that so heavy-handed, I'm like, who's who is this for? Because I already agree with everything you're saying, so it kind of feels like you're like, I, and I feel like if you are trying to change anyone's opinions on anything, um, this is not the way to do it. <laughs> um, so then that started just going through my head because I was like, who is this for? Like I, I like ugh, the moment when they break into the the fraternity and they're like you mess with the wrong sisters and like i know that's supposed to be this like empowering moment they're all like kicking ass but i couldn't help but think this is not empowering to me like at all i'm so and glad to hear you say that because that's pretty much how i feel okay good yes and i thought i was the only one um really seriously because yeah i feel like the message is so in your face mm -hmm. you know i think that they just you know it's, it's so over the top, like everything about the movie is so over the top. And I feel like some of the absurd things that are going on, like the supernatural and the black stuff that's dripping out of the statue, I feel like those things are so crazy and so out there that they, they almost drown out the important stuff that I think the movie's trying to say. Mm -hmm. That coupled with the fact that it's really in your face about it and and i'm like you sapphire i'm like i agree with all of this who is this movie for um so yeah that was a big turnoff for me and i'm, I'm glad i'm not the only one. Oh, i'm glad <laughs> but also what surprised me when i found out that this the director of the 2019 one is the same director who did always shine have either of you seen that no but i know the film i looked it up after seeing this but i haven't watched it yet okay i loved that movie um the way so it shocks me. Okay, so if you haven't seen it, it's um, a movie that really is just about these two friends who are both trying to get into acting. And one of them is a really, really good actress, but she's struggling to break in. And then the other girl, 
may not be as good, but she's having no problem. And it's just about like the tension in their friendship, like, you know, when one person gets success and it's it handles the nuances of female friendships that are like that so well. And so when I found out that she also directed Black Christmas, I was like, that is shocking to me because I feel like Always Shine had so much detail and it wasn't heavy handed. It was all very just like nuanced and Black Christmas was like hitting you over the head with it. Yeah, I mean, there's no subtext in Black yeah. Christmas 2019. <laughs> At all. Everybody says their motives and what they believe about uh, the world and their place in it and it's all very much on the surface. And I feel, I remember when I saw it, I, uh, I, so I went to a screening that had the director and writer there and they did a Q&A afterward that was really insightful. But I, you know, have to tread lightly in my criticism of something like this because I, I know that there's still worth in the message and there's still a need for that message. And I don't want to be another, you know, mansplainy horror nerd that's like oh yeah but it still sucked so i feel (laughs) really conflicted because i sat in the theater and i was like i'm having a hard time with this but i agree with what they're saying and i definitely think the patriarchy needs to be called out but i wish they had done it in a different way but it's like not my place to say that because i'm part of the patriarchy because i'm male and i'm (laughs) so it's like i'm all twisted up and i and (laughs) and i never know how to vocalize criticism around something that it's still important that there's messages like that woven into films yeah but i do wish it had been done with a more deft hand which it seems like you know you're saying the filmmaker could have because that's a skill they have um Mm -hmm. and it it i wonder where that comes from like is it a studio note to make it more obvious or to for everyone to call out their most like basic intentions i don't but even down to like the first time we see Carrie Elwes, he's like, so let me tell you right now, women are shit. And that's the class <laughs> yeah. I teach. I teach a class called Women Are Shit. Like, wouldn't the <laughs> twist have been that he actually teaches like right. feminism in literature? And the twist <laughs> is that he's kind of white nighty about it and that he mm-hmm. actually is just trying to ingratiate himself to closer to women to then screw them over with this dark motive. But no, everybody wears their motive on their sleeve You know, even the nice guys are like, hey, 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 I'm a nice guy. Come on. (laughs) And you're just like, well, okay. I don't know. Right. I I was excited in the theater when the the boyfriend I did. I liked the conversation when the boyfriend was like kind of accidentally said not all men. And she's (laughs) like, don't fucking not all. And he's like, what was saying? Not all men. I'm just saying not me. And I liked like that discourse being in a film. Yeah. Um, But then I don't know. Everything else was just so blunt and broad strokey. I feel like they tried too hard to make it timely because yeah. watching it the other night, the, a, a lot of the dialogue between characters in 2019 Black Christmas are things that I've actually seen people say on Twitter or on social media. I feel like they just lifted. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I know that sounds crazy, but I'm serious. I I feel like they just lifted all these things that are going on right now. Like, for instance, when the boyfriend said, I like beer, I'm convinced that was a nod to I am convinced. I could be wrong, but I'm convinced that's what it was. And like like you said, the boyfriend tried to say not all men and tried to mansplain a little bit. Um, But yeah, I feel like they just tried too hard 
and and you know if they, if it would have been with a lighter hand i think it could have been you know more effective and 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 i would have liked it but yeah that's a big turn off for me is that it i think they just took everything that's going on in the world and especially in the world of social media and put it directly into the movie it's always really frustrating when something comes out and you can tell that their heart was in the right place but like it wasn't really working as a movie because then when you criticize it it's hard to feel like you're also saying that the that the like the message isn't good or like totally. I don't know it's 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 so like woven into each other that it feels like oh no does this mean that like we're never going to get movies like this again or I don't know right and it cuz it cuz we have suffered through so many bad movies just made by white men over and over again that are like, I don't know, fuck it, here's a movie. So it's like, <laughs> I I always I always uh, hesitate to offer up the criticism because, I don't know, it's kind of like, well, God, I don't even know how to say this, but uh, yeah, like, when is the, the, the message and kind of like the strides that are being made to highlight different voices, even if they get kind of maybe usurped by weird studio notes or Mm -hmm. tightening schedules or, you know, but when is it more important that, you know what, at least it's a kick-ass, it's a movie led by a kick-ass female cast that has a lot of interesting things to say. So, you know, bows, maybe don't criticize the story structure of it. And I don't know, because I'm constantly trying to weigh that stuff too and kind of know, but, but it's interesting to hear you both say that you didn't respond to the message because you felt like it was, um, if this is too strong of a word, tell me, but like pandering in a way. They go so far in 2019 that there's times when it almost feels like a parody. Yeah. yeah. Like it's so over the top that it, it could easily be like a, um, a scary movie. Mm-hmm. You, the, the opening scene where he comes back out of the house after chasing her in the snow. I'm like, that's something out of scary movie. He's also in the house, like, hello, I live here. What? And I don't, I mean, I'm not, I'm not positive, but I don't think that's what the filmmakers intended. Um, you know, I, I haven't personally talked to them, but I get the impression that wasn't their intention. So I don't understand why it was done the way that it was done. Yeah. And, you know, the moment she first sees the cult, they're literally saying something like, come on, brother, don't you believe in the founding, the foundational fathers of this really? cult? You either pledge to us or you're out, my guy. And you're just like, nice data dump in the moment <laughs> she opened the door. And uh, I will say this, if I am going to step toward criticizing something big picture about 2019, I do think that there's something integral to Black Christmas working as a concept that does have to rely on the urban legend, the babysitter, and the man upstairs. I think when you take away the element of the calls coming from inside the house, you might lose something to what makes Black Christmas work. Um, Mm -hmm. And making it a cult and making it supernatural. and um, It's just such a straight shot. I mean, it's who you think it is from frame one. And then it's just a journey toward like, just waiting for Carrie Elwes to eventually be like, yeah, I told you I hate women. Yeah, we know. In scene one, yeah. you told us. <laughs> but now you're telling us again at the end of the movie. I think there's something to the DNA of it that, you know, dare I say, God, I hate the twenty, the 2006 version. But it's still kind of running off the same mechanics. And I, I at least liked those mechanics better. But I really like the performances. I like Imogen Poots. And I really liked Elise Shannon. Um I really liked those performances. I felt like those actresses 
really could do something cool with a great Black Christmas remake. You... I also wonder why did they call it Black Christmas? Like that's part of I, the reason why I dislike it so much is because maybe if they would have named it something else, I mean, I would have still had issues with it, but why did they name it something else? It literally has nothing to do with the other two movies, except yeah. that it's in a sorority. Yeah, it almost yeah. should have been named something about the frat or something about the supernatural cult. Yeah, but the founding brothers or something. Yeah, like founding know. fraternity. Yeah, <laughs> but sorry, Sapphire. Uh, no, it's fine. Um, yeah, speaking of the call coming from the inside of the house, like something that I noticed while watching both of the remakes, they both were made in a time where cell phones were made, and I yeah. feel like what works about 1974 is the fact that cell phones didn't exist. Like, most of the movie is them trying to figure out where the call is coming from. That is not a thing that could happen today. And when you take that out, it sort of takes away a huge fact, like a huge, huge part of what worked about Black, the original Black Christmas. Um, And also just like the, uh, another thing that also bothered me about the remix is the fact that um, like the, the original, Every everything felt very you felt very stuck. You know, they felt very alone. It's like, oh, everyone's leaving. I'm alone in this house. So if you die, then you're fucked. But then in the other in the remakes, everyone's like coming and going freely. Like it, you see too much of like the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah, um, the world is not just centered on this sorority house. And to me, that kind of it, that's what made it feel like such a different movie. Yeah, and you're right. There's so many sequences in the first one of just them chasing that call in the operating room or whatever that you know room is. Like, there's so much tension there that you feel that because you're like, oh my god, you gotta get that call. And John Saxon like, being like, not... you've got to keep him on the line for longer, and her being like, I I will try, but it's really hard for me. I mean, it's like so, yeah, yeah it's like so intimate and kind mm-hmm. of feel. It just feels so lived in. Yeah, but I and this is like a total high horse thing, but I just feel like films in the seventies were better at just human relationships and really feeling lived in and personal and weird even. Um social media and cell phones. Yeah. And and I think that makes a big difference. I mean, it might sound silly, but if you think about it, social media and cell phones influence, you know, almost everything in our lives. Mm Yeah. yeah. And and back in the seventies and, and even eighties, that those things didn't exist. You know, so you could have the call coming from within the house. And and I agree. It's 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 way more intimate than you know, getting text messages while you're walking around campus and you know Right. Whatever. With the fake app, the yip yap, the fake yes. <laughs> you know, messenger app. I know. It is difficult. And even the idea that the dad could show up on campus in nineteen seventy four's version and and it just be kinda like, Well, I don't know, she's supposed yeah. to meet me here, but she's not here. And there's more of a question of like uh, uh, there's uh, I remember there was plenty of times as a kid where I was like, Yeah, pick me up at this time when I get out of the movie and uh, if I wasn't waiting by the payphone, mm-hmm. you know, my parents would, would think I was kidnapped for 30 minutes. And uh, you can't do that in, in, in modern films. Well, final thoughts on Black Christmas as a weird, uneven remake trilogy. Um, what do you think is sound about the concept of a Black Christmas film? And what would you like to see if there is a Black Christmas 2032 coming our way. 
<laughs> I'm totally expecting it to happen. <laughs> Gosh, I don't know. I just hope that they'll, if they're going to call it Black Christmas, that they'll draw more from the original film. Um, you know, because the, it, it's just, it's it's the best film out of the three, in my, in my opinion, uh, for a lot of reasons that we talked about, you know, the intimacy with the characters, you, you know, you get to know them, you care about them, and that they're not so two-dimensional like they are in 2006. And um, it's, yeah, it's just more personal. And and then also uh, the fact that we don't know a lot about Billy. Um, yeah. You know, 2006, we're told too much. Um, I would like a little more information in, in 1974, but you know, it's 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 still makes it scarier. So I would hope that they would, you know, take elements from the original if they're going to call it Black Christmas. <laughs> so I have a lot of thoughts about Greek life just in general. Um, I I will disclose I've never been a yeah. part of a fraternity or sorority. However, I have had friends who have dropped out of the pledging process and have told me what stuff they were doing and I know that this may not be every fraternity or sorority but that to me was enough to go why would anyone willingly go through that for this fake sense of sisterhood or brotherhood um, and I have to say sorry this is like one of the dumbest things so one of my fr like one of my really good friends in college he was in one of my classes and he was in front of me and there was this one week and I knew that he was pledging this fraternity he came up to me um, and he was like, hey, I have to tell you this before um, my other friend gets here, who was also in the fraternity. And he would like tell on him if he was talking to me. And he was like, um, so this week we're not allowed to talk to anyone other than in the fraternity. But I wanted you to know so you didn't think I was ignoring you. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then he turned around and ignored me. That wasn't even the worst wow. thing. There was way worse. But that one made me go, wow, that is cult of course of having you cut off your outside friends. And so to me... The idea of Greek life has always been a scary one. So I think if a remake <laughs> is done in the future, I think it might be kind of cool to switch it up a little bit and make the the horror like actually coming from within the house. Like it's the one it's one of the sisters or something. Like something to comment yeah. on how how dangerous <laughs> like this like weird false sense of sisterhood can be. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a great holiday special. Um, we're so glad to have had you here for this conversation around all three Black Christmases. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was fun. All right, Alter Society. This week we watched Porno from director Keola Rasela. When five teenage employees at the local movie theater in a small Christian town discover a mysterious old film hidden in its basement, they unleash an alluring succubus who gives them a sex education written in blood. So, what were your thoughts on porno? Straight out the gate. When you start it, you press play on Shudder. What are you thinking? Okay. I will say, maybe like the first, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, yeah. I didn't hate it. I okay. was okay with it. Because I... <laughs> I actually thought the setup was kind of funny. <laughs> like, okay. it reminded me of, because I, I used to go to, like, the youth ministry groups at my church and was around, like, these types of people who were very, yeah. like, into religion. And I thought that, like, what's his name? Mr. Pike? 
Um, Mr. Pike, yeah. Like, <laughs> like there was a couple lines that actually like made me laugh. I was just like, okay, like maybe. You know, I was sort of like, all right, let's see where this goes. Yeah. And then I saw where it went, and I didn't like it. <laughs> right. I, to be honest, was confused from the top. Because mm-hmm. we've talked about it on this podcast. I grew up Christian, going to youth group stuff, and in that world as well. And I was confused at the premise. Mm. It's a Christian-owned and operated movie theater Yeah, with... Christians working at I almost felt like that was something very specific mm-hmm. to whoever wrote it but they didn't understand maybe how niche that was it's actually like, I had to look it up like it's the town it's like a Christian town so like every the whole vibe of the town is Christian so the vibe of the is the okay so it's uh, so it's yeah. a Christian town even that to me is a little like huh um <laughs> Like, maybe it would be more accessible as a premise, and here's me Monday morning quarterbacking, if it if it were a, a, a youth group mm-hmm. gathering at a church, mm-hmm. and they were watching a film, and there were other reels of film that weren't supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. But something like, I can tap into a youth group overnight, like a lockdown at a gym, yeah. or... Uh, or just like the church amphitheater. But something was hard for me to access, and I mm-hmm. come from this world i think it must have been a very specific experience to the writer is my guess that is not fact um so i was confused Uh from the top but not not turned off and not like angry at the at the movie yet yet (laughs) (laughs) so when did it kind of stop working for you or when did it go south because you know okay i wanted i wanted to see where it was going because like i feel like it um Here's the thing, like, I feel like there was so much potential for something cool, and then yeah. I felt very let down with what they what they ended up doing. Like, the idea yeah. of these super Christian teens, I'm assuming, um, mm-hmm. like, they're exposed to something that they're not supposed to witness, and it actually is also a demon, and now they have to, like, run from it. Like, that's a fun idea. That's fun. Kind of Rocky Horror. Kind of like, uh-oh, what are we feeling? We're, ooh, we're all coming alive right. in our down belows. Exactly. And <laughs> yeah. and then it, I don't know, then it, it fell apart mm, halfway through. For After after they, um, what do you call it? After the succubus came to life and was, like, yes. physically in the theater, I think that's when it went super downhill for me, where I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. So I have a hard time criticizing um, something that was clearly made uh, with a lot of heart and a lot mm-hmm. of elbow grease and yeah. and grit. And I don't want to criticize it too heavily. But I do think there were large elements of the film that hadn't really been worked out at a conceptual level. Yeah. So if, if I can criticize anything, I would I would say that it just needed its foundational, the the core tenets of its story shored up. Yeah. Prior to rolling. Because I was getting all turned around, like, who wants what and what leads to what and what is the demon after and who's in charge yeah. of the demon's will and want and what will rectify any of this and what lessons are they learning? And yeah, yeah like, I just was so turned around. I don't even know if the movie knew what it was saying about mm-hmm. sexuality or identity um desire i just it, it yeah. was all twisted up i just think it needed to get a, i guess a little more clarity on that so like the 
you know, it's not a secret that the more repressed you are, the more um, confused you'll be later or the more that you end up going overboard when you are exposed to something. And like, I feel like there's some sort of commentary there, like when you have like these virgin Christian kids who've never been exposed to anything about sex, you know, and then like maybe the movie could have been about like fine, like it's okay, like as long as you have like a balance you know, like to me, like that would have been like the lesson I would have liked to have learned from it. Just like as a kid who also like had a very <laughs> oppressive childhood. Um, totally. And that's something that a lot of people can relate to. I don't know. I feel like I saw like bits of that in the movie and I was like, oh, I wish they they like kind of expanded on at least something thematically because I feel like it was it didn't know what theme it wanted to follow. I I agree. I agree. Um, I couldn't tell if the person who was making it was discovering these things and and was partially repressed or if the person that was making it was sitting in judgment of people that were brought up that way and yeah. and, and weren't in touch with their sexuality sooner. It, it Its POV seemed to shift from scene to scene and I, I could never lock into like an overriding perspective uh, or a guiding perspective yeah it just felt like a free-for-all uh, after a certain point oh look sapphire it's not important what we think who cares what we think no, not right me. <laughs> not me what's important is finding out what the alter viewers think Correct. okay so we have some comments from alter viewers right here on their thoughts regarding porn all right lay it on me all right this first one's from paco Paco Salazar says, overall, I had a great time with it. I love how bonkers the story is. The characters could have been a little more fleshed out, but they're fun and likable. My favorite having to be Heavy Metal Jeff. The practical effects are A1, especially regarding that scene. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The one that Sapphire couldn't watch. Uh, A really fun time. So Charlotte says, I thought the movie was okay at best, but it could have been great in a different format, hmm. like maybe a short film. The idea was fun. Some of the scenes were decent, but most of the movie felt like it was dragged out and bland. Mm. Interesting. I give it a two out of five as it is. Hmm. I would agree a with that. The... I think that it actually probably could have worked as a short film. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I wonder if at any point it was. Maybe it was yeah. conceived as a short. Um, a lot of the comments are just people saying, wait, what? Am I on the right channel? Because it's just this giant headline that says, tell us what you think of porno. (laughs) This one's from Jennifer Lee. And they say, I watched it Sunday on Shudder, and I loved it. Okay. That's it. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, here we go. Mr. White says, I gave it a 3.5 out of 5. I enjoyed its atmosphere and setting, both the movie theater and also the decade it was set in. Mm. It was well-written and well-acted. All right. Well, that's what the Alter fans thought. Uh, Sapphire, let's sum up our thoughts, okay? What, uh, how many exploded nuts do you give porno? And now now a set of nuts is equals one star. So two. So it's, okay. Yeah, so two nuts is, is one point. Uh-huh. Total. We keep. You know, have you noticed we keep doing that? Yeah. All of our rating systems are like multi. I know. It's a very confusing <laughs> rating system. It really can't get any better than just two thumbs up or two thumbs down. But we're getting uh, tricky with it. 
I like making it complicated. Yeah. So how many exploded nuts? I thought about this. I want to take into consideration the fact that it had a lot of potential, that it was a first-time director. Um, it had, like, the. I mean, I the effects were effective. Um, I thought that was a real mutilated penis. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I got to give them something for that. Uh, so I will say... I'll give it one. I give it one set of exploded nuts as well. So two nuts, but one star yes. in essence. <laughs> I, I also commend it, there were a lot of things that were done well from the prosthetics, makeup perspective. Um, I liked mm-hmm. the performances. I liked most of the actors. Yeah. And it was a noble first effort. And uh, I wouldn't want to discourage these creators from creating further it just didn't quite work right. for for me if you want to be a part of helping the altar society choose what we watch next then keep an eye out on watch altars youtube community page for future polls before we sign off this week here is what's coming up on altar other side of the box on december 25th late one night a young couple receives a mysterious package from an old friend and then hello on december 28th A lonely man finds himself bedeviled by a malevolent force. But is it real or just all in his mind? Then, Starlets on December 30th. 1958, a Hollywood exec must discover the whereabouts of three young stars if he wants to survive the night. That's all for this week's episode of Alter Weekly. Until next time, stay altered. You can catch new episodes of Alter Weekly every Thursday. Get it wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe and download. Alter Weekly is produced by Andrew Bowser with theme music by Sapphire Sandalo. And this week's episode featured dark Christmas music, Carol of the Bells by Lucas King. Alter Weekly is executive produced by Stephen Michael and Lauren Palmer at Gunpowder and Sky. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.